0: So just a a little reminder before we get going with our our sermon here, just want to sort of refresh our minds that that we started a a new series last week. Uh, We took a look at at Solomon last week. We just started the series where we're going to be looking at Israelite kings. Uh, from Scripture, of course, and as we look at their lives in Scripture, as as recounted in Scripture, we're going to be drawing out lessons from these kings. And we're not going to tackle every single king, uh, Israelite king, for the United Kingdom of Israel or the Northern Kingdom after its separation or the Southern Kingdom of Judah. We don't have time. We take an awful lot of time going through every single one. Well, we're going to highlight a, a few particularly significant uh, kings in, in Israel's history and draw forth and draw out from, from their lives lessons that we can really apply to our lives. And so, uh, as I said, we looked at Solomon last week, and now we're going to move on to the next king, and that's uh, Rehoboam. And it's his son, And and I'll sort of tell you already kind of where we're going to be going with this. You can actually turn your Bibles to 1 Kings uh, chapter 11. We're going to be really entirely in chapter 11 and just a little bit also of uh, chapter 12. So we'll look at a few passages there. But sort of here's where we're going to go. What we're going to see in Rehoboam's life uh, is the reality that he was a very poor leader. And so the main lesson we're gonna draw from this, and not only do we see that he's a poor leader, that that he certainly shows forth bad leadership, but there are all sorts of negative consequences that flow from that. Uh, And not just negative consequences for himself, but for those he is leading as well. And this isn't just true for his life, Uh, but it's true in all situations of leadership. Uh, Leadership is just so important, uh, and faithful leadership is important, and where that doesn't take place, and where instead there's unwise and foolish and bad and terrible leadership, uh, there's all sorts of devastation and negative effects that result, Uh, and we see this in Rehoboam's life. And of course, that just demonstrates the importance of faithful leadership that doesn't lead to all sorts of devastation, but rather faithful leadership winds up leading to blessing, not just in the life of that leader, but also thinking of all that that leader is is sort of in authority over all of the people that he is leading. It just pours forth blessing uh, in their lives as well. So we're going to be talking about leadership, good leadership, bad leadership, and the effects. And we see that uh, very clearly in Rehoboam's life. And so I want to turn now to look at our, our first passage where we're going to see this sort of play out, this bad leadership and the consequences, sort of all of the fallout from Rehoboam's uh, foolish and poor and bad leadership. So we're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, starting at verse 42. So it's sort of just the end of this chapter and then into chapter 12. And then what we're actually going to do is back up further back into chapter 11, but I'll, I'll sort of explain that later. But we're starting here, 1 Kings 11, verse 42. Here's what it says. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son succeeded him as king. So we have Solomon dying. His son takes over. Rehoboam takes over. Uh, And at this point, it's still a united kingdom. It hasn't split into the north Uh, in the south, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, southern kingdom of Judah. That's about to happen. We're going to see that uh, all play out. But at least at this moment, right as Solomon dies, and sort of Rehoboam's now ready to, to take the throne and lead Israel. It's still all united at this point. And so that's sort of the setting. And now we get to chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Right? So here's what they're saying. Speaking of the prior King Solomon, they're saying, yes, if we're going to be real about Solomon and his reign there was a lot of blessing and thriving and flourishing for the kingdom of Israel and for the people but at the same time uh, there was a heavy yoke that he as king placed upon the people uh, his rule his reign while there was a flourishing in the kingdom at the same time it was very much a burdensome rule and reign for the people and so now here we have Rehoboam uh, about to to take over and uh, what are they saying they're saying well you know your father put this heavy yoke on us, if you just lighten the load a bit, then we'll serve you. We'll follow you. You can be king over all of us. We'll be good with you. We'll be cool with you as our king. uh, And it will go well. That's all you have to do. Just lighten the load, uh, that heavy load that your father Solomon had put on us. So what does Rehoboam say at this point? This is verse 5. It says, Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. So at this point, if you're thinking of leadership, you might be thinking, that's not, that's not bad. I mean, you have a big decision to make and you figure, I kind of want to think about things and maybe seek some further counsel. So I'll, I'll take a little time. So come back to me and, you know, in a few days and I'll give you my answer. So at this point, it seems like reasonable leadership. Of course, it's going to go south. Uh, but at this point, he's doing all right. So now, verse six. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime so he says okay here's my father Solomon his uh, not him but his advisors that he had those who uh, advised him when he was king and so oh you know I'll go to them so King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime how would you advise me to answer these people he asked again a wise course of action at this point still good leadership to say hey you know, many minds are better than just one. Maybe I, I don't have the perfect clarity and wisdom in this situation, but hey, I know my father had a lot of great wise and, uh, advisors and, and fellow leaders, and so why don't I go and consult them? So again, at this point, it still seems like he's leading quite well and wisely, but again, it's going to go poorly very soon. But so he says, how would you advise me to answer these people? And then verse 7, they replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. right? What he's saying here is basically if, if you give them what they want, they're, they're requesting something that isn't ridiculous, that isn't unreasonable. They're saying your, your father just had this heavy yoke and burden upon us, just lighten it a bit and we'll serve you. And they say, you know, give in to that. And in a sense, what they're advising is servant leadership. Right, That if you even think of how they put it, they put it that way. They say, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. So, Yes, Rehoboam, you're the boss, you're the king, but if as king, as leader, you will serve these people, if you will be a servant leader, carry out servant leadership here, and serve them by being kind and gracious and merciful and saying, hey, I'm going to lighten your load, the, the load that my father put on you, that burden, that heavy yoke, I'm going to lighten it for him, for you. If you serve them in that way, As king, then they will always be your servants. Right? So, a good, wise answer here, uh, a wise advice given to the king, to King Rehoboam here, but he doesn't really like it. If we read on, verse 8, it says, But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Right now, I would say, if you're going to be realistic, you know, and sort of try to gain a little insight into Rehoboam's mind and what is he thinking, probably what's going on here is there's a sense of pride and arrogance, and, and I'm the king, and who are they to go and make demands? And I don't want to come across as weak and and give in and and serve. I'm I'm the king. I should be served. I don't want to go and serve them. And so there's a pride issue here. And so he says. I don't like your servant leadership advice of sort of lightening this, this yoke upon them. I don't really like that advice, so why don't I go find some other advisors? And so he says, hey, I'll, I'll go ask my buddies, right? I'll consult the young men who grew up with me. And so he asked them. Uh, it says, verse 9, he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions, right? This is their advice. It's sort of like, go and say to them, you know, you thought it was bad under my dad. You thought that was a heavy yoke. I'm going to make it even heavier, even more burdensome for you. That's what my reign and my leadership is going to be for you. And he winds up liking this advice and taking it. So as we read on verse 12, it says, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. And we'll, we're going to look at that passage and, and that prophetic word as we look back earlier in, in chapter 11, but, but we won't go there just yet. But now, so reading on, verse 16, when all Israel saw that the king refused to listen, them, listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David. What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, uh, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So what's saying here is is the Israelites, here we're talking the ten tribes minus, right all the tribes minus Judah and Benjamin is sort of what we're talking about here, those ten tribes. They all went back to to the north, to their homes, to their land, and said, we're done. We're done with with Rehoboam, with, with uh, the line of David, we're going to go do things on our own. But what it's saying here is, as for the Israelites who are living in the towns of Judah, so those Israelites who are from, if you're speaking sort of tribally, from the 10 northern tribes, but they happen to be dwelling in the southern, the region of what would become the southern kingdom, so Judah, Benjamin, uh, a lot of them stayed in, in Judah. That's what's being spoken of there. Uh, but as for the Israelites who are living in the towns of, of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Then reading on verse 18, King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. This day meaning as 1 Kings is is being written, when it was written at that time, right? What's being said is still in rebellion uh, to the house of David. Going on, verse 20, when all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. Now, to be a little more specific, this is scripture, this is right, of course, but I want to nuance this just so we understand what's going on. When it says only the tribe of Judah, that's not intended sort of in the most specific sense. There were two tribes. It was Judah uh, and Benjamin. In fact, we're even going to see that quite clearly just in another verse as Rehoboam musters his army and, and ultimately he doesn't go and attack uh, the northern tribes, but but that was sort of initially his plan, and he musters not just the, the, the men of, of uh, Judah, but also of Benjamin, because they are together here as the southern kingdom, what becomes the southern kingdom. It is two tribes, but the sense is sort of like, Judah's a big deal, Benjamin is just like this little tiny add-on, uh, it, it's almost like, maybe this is slightly overstated, but it's almost like they're not worthy of note. It, it's almost reasonable to speak of the southern kingdom as just sort of one tribe, because it's almost almost entirely Judah and just a little sliver add-on of, of Benjamin. Uh, so when it says only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David, it's sort of implied, yeah, and Benjamin, but they're kind of like lumped in with Judah. That, that's the sense uh, in which that's intended. So verse 21, when Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Again, very clearly, Benjamin's intended here, part of that, what becomes the southern kingdom, sort of joined in with Judah, though. A hundred and eighty thousand able young men to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. So we're going to see, as we look earlier in chapter 11, and it has sort of already been spoken of a bit in this passage, that there's more to this, and again, we'll talk about this, uh, there's more to this than just Rehoboam's foolish leadership, terrible leadership that sort of causes this split and has all of these negative effects and, and sort of this devastation upon this kingdom of Israel that's now fractured and, and this disunity. Uh, there's more to the story, sort of a, the backdrop of it, and we're going to look at that, but for now, and in relation. Sort of to our sermon and what we're focusing on here, I want to talk about the poor leadership of Rehoboam uh, because that's sort of that—that's what we're zeroing in on and talking about. Uh, and sort of here's the reality: if we look at this, it's quite clearly poor and foolish leadership. He goes; it sort of starts off okay. He sort of calls for time as the the people of Israel come and say, "Hey, you know this this burden of your this yoke of your father. It's burdensome. It's heavy." if you lighten it, we're going to serve you. Again, a reasonable request. And it starts off, okay, where he he calls for time. Yeah, this is a big decision. Uh, You know, that makes sense. And yes, he goes to uh, his father's advisors uh, and and says, you know, what would you have me do? What's a wise approach? And they give him good advice. So at, at this point, it seems okay, right? It seems like reasonable leadership. But then in pride, he doesn't really like the answer, which is to say, well, hey, as king, go and be a servant king, go and be a servant leader and serve the people by doing what they're asking for, responding with kindness and grace and say, yes, you know, this is what you want. I will lighten that heavy load, that heavy burden that my father laid upon you and have that response of a caring and loving uh, servant leader, right? But he doesn't like that response. And so he says, nah, you know, in pride, I don't like that. I'm not going to go that route. And he winds up going and asking his sort of the, the, his fellow young men with whom he grew up, you know, sort of his buddies, and says, What do you guys think is the right approach? And of course, they say, basically like double it. You know, however heavy the load and burden of your father was, make it even heavier. Make it worse for them. You know, exert your authority, flex your muscles as a leader, lord your authority over them. And of course, he responds with that. He's an utter fool here. Instead of uh, doing what is, in a sense, I'd almost say just sort of basic common sense of what seems like the wise approach as a leader, right? Well, if they say just reasonably lighten the load a little bit, and hey, we'll serve you. You'll be our king. Do it. It seems like just sort of the common sense wise approach, but also even just as a servant leader, it is the biblical and loving and caring approach it is this this leader who cares for his people and wants to be a blessing to them uh, as well. And so that is clearly the godly approach, the right approach, the wise approach, the, the good approach for a leader is to lighten the load and respond in a positive way and be that servant leader. But Rehoboam is not a good leader. He doesn't exemplify good and faithful and wise leadership but but quite the opposite he exemplifies here uh, terrible leadership poor leadership foolish leadership, uh, ungodly leadership. And then we see what the effects of this are. If we think of sort of what's the fallout, right? Because uh, as we talk about bad leadership, I don't want to just talk about, hey, he's a bad leader, uh, and he's an example for us of bad leadership. But, but let's also talk about what are the consequences of it? Because the reality is the consequences of it don't fall on him alone. Certainly there are negative consequences for Rehoboam himself right? He's not now going to be this powerful king over this uh, large united kingdom that had flourished in his father's day and would continue flourishing. Uh, Now he wound up with just sort of like a little fraction, right? Two, in a sense, almost it's not worth mentioning two tribes. It's almost like it's just one tribe of Judah with Benjamin as sort of this little tax on at the end, right? This sort of this fraction of, of, of what the kingdom was before. So certainly there are negative implications and consequences for Rehoboam, but, but the negative effects also fall upon all of the people, not just him, but all those he is in leadership over or would have been in leadership over if they had you know, the northern kingdom hadn't said, we're going to carve out our own little kingdom and forget you, right? The, the negative implications and effects fall upon them. Uh, what do we wind up having now in, in a lasting and enduring way? Instead, of uh, the, the family of the people of Israel, right? The, these people who are literally family. I mean, they're all descendants of, of Israel. Certainly, yes, you have Gentiles at time who were sort of grafted in and joined into the people of Israel. But, but this is very much family, and they're God's people. You have these tribes that ought to be united and, and, and on good terms with one another and loving one another and being a blessing to one another. And now what's the result? They're not unified. There isn't wholeness in the, the nation with it being united, but rather it's now divided. There's friction, they're at odds with one another. Uh, very literally, time and again, they're, they're very literally at war, waging war with one another. In fact, that was even Rehoboam's first thought. It's like time for war to go and wage war on family, on his own brothers, on his own family, right? Um, And so that winds up playing itself out throughout the history of Israel in the north, Judah in the south, where time and again they're very literally at war with one another, not uh, sort of the family of God's people united, loving one another, caring for one another, but rather at one another's throats with great friction and and, and at odds with one one another, waging war. There were times where they they were on better terms and they were allies at times, but, but time and again They were just at one another. And that's not what God wants to see in the midst of his people. He wants to see wholeness and peace and and, and unity and and love shine forth, not for them to be at one another's throats and killing one another and seeking to harm one another. And so this winds up affecting the whole of the people. And again, even if you sort of start to think about further implications of all of this, what winds up happening for the north is they wind up with wicked king after wicked king after wicked king, without exception, every single one no, no exception, no further qualification. Every single uh, king for the northern kingdom uh, of Israel was in complete rebellion to the Lord, went after all sorts of false gods, and led the people in that rebellion, rebelling against the Lord, uh, going after all of the false pagan deities, the Canaanite gods, and so forth. And, and so ultimately, God winds up saying, enough, enough, enough is enough. I'm done with you. The Assyrians come in and wipe out the northern kingdom, and they're done, and they never wind up Uh, coming back. There isn't, you know, as you think of for the southern kingdom uh, of Judah, there isn't this return from exile. They're just cast aside and and wiped off the map. And and if you think about this, well, what if this hadn't taken place with Rehoboam? What if he had acted wisely and faithfully? What if he had been a good leader and, and been that servant leader and said, Yeah, I'll lighten the load. I'll be gracious. I'll be merciful. I'll lighten the load. And now the kingdom stays united. Now, yes, certainly the southern kingdom of Judah had its fair share of bad kings who went after false gods and led the people astray. But they also had their fair share of good kings who were faithful to the Lord uh, and and led the people in faithfully serving God and worshiping him. And what if those Davidic kings, the ones who were actually good and faithful, had leadership not just over Judah and, oh yeah, also Benjamin, that's sort of an add-on, but the whole nation. And think of the population Positive spiritual impact that that would have had uh, on the northern kingdom that instead wound up just having evil king after evil king after evil king leading the people in evil and down a path of rebellion to the Lord? What if instead there had been good kings in the midst of that ruling over them and stirring them on toward faithful worship and service unto God? And so again, you see that the continued impacts, not just uh, in his day, you know, the negative impacts upon himself, not just the negative impact upon those he was leading or would have led in his day, but even through the generations, right, as as you have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, you know, in an enduring way at odds with one another, and the, the Disunity in, in, uh, rather than wholeness and peace in the midst of God's people. And so we see here that bad leadership, it's not some sort of small thing that's not a big deal uh, and has very little implications or fallout or effects. No, the reality is Bad leadership is, is is a huge deal, a huge problem, and, and sort of the fallout is awfully significant significant uh, and there's great devastation in the wake of this poor leadership. Here we have just a single instance of bad leadership, unwise, unfaithful leadership, and yet there's just this trail and wake of devastation that follows after it. And of course, the flip side is is also true if you think of If there's good and faithful leadership, there's not a trail of devastation that flows from that, but rather quite the opposite, where there's good and faithful leadership, there's blessing that flows out of that, blessing upon the faithful leader who's just faithfully serving God in that capacity, but also blessing upon the people who are being led by that faithful, good servant leader as well, and so we see the importance of leadership. But, but I want to back up here earlier in 1 Kings 11, because I want us to have the full picture here. Even if we're particularly zeroing in on Rehoboam uh, and, and his folly and poor leadership and, and using that as an example and, and to say for us, hey, we, we need to, be, to make sure we're not like him, but we are faithful leaders and good leaders. I still want us, as we think of, of what happens here with Rehoboam and his, his poor leadership and the division of this kingdom, that it's not just about him, but there's a little bit more to this story that backs up a little further in time into Solomon's life and time. So I do want to back up a little bit to the beginning of chapter 11. So we're still in 1 Kings chapter 11 and we'll read from verses 1 to 13 and then we're going to jump to uh, verse 26. So this is 1 Kings 11 verses 1 through 13. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So again, as we think of Rehoboam and his poor leadership, right, the story sort of backs up a little bit further. Certainly, Rehoboam is, is part of the cause for why the, the, the kingdom that was united now splits, and, and he is certainly at fault in that, but it's not that he's sort of the most basic or fundamental or initial cause that brought this about. Rather, God used him as a means to carry out what he had already foretold that he would indeed do as a consequence Uh, for Solomon for his rebellion. Solomon, right before Rehoboam, the king before him, Rehoboam's father, had had forsaken the Lord, had gone gone after other gods. He had let his wives lead him astray, these foreign wives who worshiped foreign and fake and, and pagan deities. Uh, They led him astray, and he wound up worshiping those false gods as well. And God said, as a punishment, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear away from your kingdom a huge chunk of it. The ten northern tribes, they're going to be torn away from your kingdom, from the line of David, but, he said, I will still be gracious uh, and preserve uh, the southern kingdom as, as the main tribe of Judah, but sort of that secondary tribe of, of Benjamin as well. Uh, and we further see this play out again as well, even before we get to Rehoboam, uh, specifically with Jeroboam. So I'm going to jump to verse 26 in chapter 11, and here's what it says. Also Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from zerida and his mother was a widow named uh, Zeruah. Here's the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David, his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing. And when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were out uh, we're alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into twelve pieces. Here, of course, representing the twelve tribes. And then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, the ten northern tribes, of course. Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes but for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. And again, here you might think, well, one tribe, I thought it was Benjamin, and, and well, if there are 12 pieces uh, uh, from this cloak that was torn, and if Jeroboam gets 10, well, doesn't that, that's just sort of basic math, there's two left over. Again, yes, it's technically two, Judah and Benjamin, but it can almost be spoken of as one because it's almost like Benjamin's not worthy of mention next to Judah. So technically, yes, it's two, but as he says here, it's sort of, in a sense, one tribe, right? For the sake of my servant David, the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe, which is Judah, but sort of also Benjamin. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worship worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David, Solomon's father, did." But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son so that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires and you will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak the king and stayed there until Solomon's death. So again, even as we're thinking of this whole story and this act of foolish and terrible and poor leadership, uh, that leads to the division of, of this what was at that time a united kingdom there, uh, but winds up then being divided, fractured, split into two: the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. As we understand this, yes, uh, it does result from this act of of terrible leadership on the part of Rehoboam. But at the same time, we have to understand that the whole story backs up a little bit earlier, and that most fundamentally, why does this take place? Well, the Lord ordained for it to take place, and it was a punishment, a consequence for Solomon's rebellion. Right, being led astray, going after all of these false gods, uh, being led astray by his wives and, and going after those false gods rather than remaining faithful to the Lord and the Lord alone. And so it was a punishment for that, but he still chose to work through Rehoboam. And so Rehoboam, of course, here is still very much to blame for what took place. But I, I want to make sure, even though we're going to focus here on Rehoboam and, and his leadership, I want us to understand the whole story. And it's not just about Rehoboam. It's also about Solomon and his rebellion that led to this as well. But as we sort of come back to this singular act of terrible, poor leadership on the part of Rehoboam, right, and as we think of the, the fallout, the consequences, all of the negative effects, uh, this, this kingdom, God's people here, and the, the, the family of God's people, these tribes who are, who are truly family, brother and sister, and now they're, they're split in two, and, and they're at one another's throats, and they're at odds with one another, they're waging war against one another, uh, and that right, this is all ultimately fallout and negative effects from this singular Act of terrible leadership. And we realize just how through this, and certainly you could go to many other stories in Scripture, or I can imagine also just looking at history, even outside of Scripture, where poor leadership just has devastating effects and consequences. And again, not just for the leader himself. But for the whole of the people that he is leading as well. And again, on the flip side, where there's good and faithful leadership, the blessing that comes from that is yes, in one sense for the leader, but but it overflows to the whole of the people and all who are being led as well. And so we see the importance of good and faithful leadership. And you might have the initial response of Yeah, I get all that, but I, you know, I, I'm not a king. I'm not in Rehoboam's position. You know, I, I, I'm not. I don't have that kind of leadership. I, you know. I would say, yes, you're not a king. No one here is a king and has that degree of leadership over this vast nation and so forth. But we are all leaders in various ways, whether it's in the church. And for me, well, I'm a leader in the church. I'm I'm the pastor here. Or there are others who are on the board who are elders. And so there's a position of leadership in the church. Uh, and the responsibility that comes with that. Uh, It may be a position of leadership in the workplace where maybe you're in some level of management, middle management, upper management, whatever, but you have people under your authority and you're leading them and managing them. Or maybe it's in the home. Maybe it's, well, you're the husband and the father and you need to lead your family, your wife and your kids and, and do that faithfully. Or maybe it's you're, you're the mom and you have children and, and you know, you're know you leading them. Or uh, you're a Sunday school teacher in the church and you're leading those children as you're teaching them about the Lord, about Christ. We all have position, positions of leadership that we are in. We may not sort of immediately always think of ourselves as, oh, I'm a leader, but if we really think about it, each and every one of us has some sort of position of leadership. And the question then is, well, what kind of leader are you going to be? What kind of leader am I going to be in that, that office, that position of leadership that, that God has granted to me or to you, how are we going to carry out that role and that responsibility? Are we going to do it faithfully? Are we going to be good leaders? Are we going to be godly leaders? Are we going to be wise? Are we going to carry out that role well? And then the result of that is just wondrous blessing. God's going to bless us because we're leading well and faithfully, as he's called us to, but then that blessing's just gonna overflow. If you're leading well, you're gonna be a blessing to your people as well, whoever you're leading. Again, whether it's in the home, in church, at work, wherever it is, you're going to be a blessing if you're leading well to those you are leading. If you're carrying out that role faithfully, if you're being that godly servant leader and in love seeking to be a blessing to those under your care and authority, that blessing's gonna overflow to them as well. But again you may choose not to be a good and faithful leader and sadly right I'm not saying this will be the case for us but but certainly it is for some in life that they say no I'm going to follow uh, in the footsteps of Rehoboam. And they wind up saying, you know, with my leadership, I don't want to be a servant leader. I don't want to in love uh, and, and just in care for those under my, you know, under my care, under my shepherding care. I don't, I don't want to seek to be a blessing to them. I just want to sort of lord my authority over others, or I just want to act in foolishness, or in pride, or whatever it might be. But all too often, people lead poorly and follow in the footsteps of Rehoboam. And I think you see this in, in, in every sphere, whether you wanna talk about government, and there's a reason why just about every person in this country tends to have a low view of politicians, whatever side of the aisle you're on. The general consensus is, yeah, politicians, they're dirty, they're corrupt, they're in it for power, they're in it for themselves. And what we see is just poor leadership, not a servant leadership, but poor, selfish leadership. And what is the effect that winds up then affecting all of the people, not just themselves, but the whole of the people. I think you see it at times in the church where there's just poor leadership, whatever that might be, whether it's some sort of moral failing and part of being a leader is upholding that that godly character as well or, or whether it's just steering a church in a bad direction, but you see it whether for pastors or elders where at times there's poor leadership. It's just not carried out well and it doesn't just affect the leader or the leaders, but it affects the whole body, the whole community as well. Or you can see it in homes, right? How often is it, tragically all too often, where fathers just aren't present in the home, or even if they're physically present on some level, they're, they're not really sort of truly present, uh, in the fullest sense. And sort of where is the leadership there, right? Where's the leadership of the father leading the the, the whole family, the wife and the children? And when you see that, that godly father in the home, there's such a wonderful positive effect and blessing. And, and all the stati- statistics are clear, right, over all demographics, whether it's race or you name it, that when the father is absent, when there isn't that godly and good and faithful leadership, the likelihood of every sort of negative type of behavior, whatever it might be, drugs, alcohol, crime, I mean, you name it uh, depression all sorts of things it just sort of skyrockets because there wasn't that faithful leadership of a father in the home training those children up and leading them and leading them well and when that leadership's just sort of absent or poor and if it's absent then it's poor leadership again you see the devastating effects again not just on the leader but on those who are being led as well. And so as we think about this, as we hear the story here of of Rehoboam, right, it, it calls to mind for us and we see a lesson that we learn here is leadership's important. And God has put each and every one of us in different positions of leadership. Some grand positions of leadership, some maybe lesser, but we are all in some sort of position of leadership and the question is, how are we going to lead? Are we gonna lead well, faithfully, as servant leaders, and the result of that's just this wondrous, overflowing blessing for us, for those we're leading, for the leaders and those being led, or are we gonna foolishly follow in the footsteps of Rehoboam, right? Where even just a singular instance of bad, foolish, poor leadership, led to devastation for an entire nation in an enduring way, generation after generation. Are we going to be poor and foolish leaders like that and see the devastation not just come upon us, but those we're leading as well? And so I want to challenge us to recognize our sphere or spheres of leadership, the places and positions in which God has made us leaders and say, I'm going to lead well in those areas. To recognize it's a great privilege, it's a great honor, but it's also a great responsibility as well. And we need to take that responsibility seriously and say, God has put me here. I'm responsible to carry out this role in this office faithfully and be a good and faithful and godly leader and to do it well and let just blessing flow forth upon you and upon those you're leading, all for the Lord. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this story from scripture about Rehoboam, in Scripture at times we learn from those who act faithfully and do what is right, but at the same time we also learn from those who have made mistakes, and we can learn from their mistakes, and we see that here with Rehoboam. A great mistake, and error on his part, terrible leadership, foolish leadership, pride in the mix there to be sure. And may we learn from his example. May we see the importance of leadership and specifically godly and faithful and good leadership. And may we understand that the implications, that all that's at stake, it's not just ourselves as leaders, but all those we are leading as well. That when we are faithful to you and there is blessing, it's not just upon us, but upon those we're leading as well. And when we lead poorly, the devastation, it's not just upon us, all the negative effects and consequences, but upon all that we are leading as well. And may understanding that, and as we learn from Rehoboam, may we be stirred to faithful, godly, good leadership. Whatever our arena, our sphere of leadership is, whether it's in the workplace, in church, in the home or other, other areas of leadership or multiple areas of leadership, whatever it is, Lord, may we recognize that position, recognize it as an honor, but also a great responsibility and take it seriously and be the good and faithful leaders that you've called us to be, that blessing might flow forth in great and wondrous ways, not just upon us, but upon those we're leading. And may it all be in service to you and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.